I think we've all experienced in our lives the fact that children have this fantastic ability to play make-believe. Right? They create whole worlds, and maybe we did that as well as, our, uh, as kids ourselves, but they can create whole worlds of you know, knights and princesses and kings and queens or some spaceships and aliens and you know, monsters under the bed, but this whole world. They can imagine noble quests. They can imagine perilous missions. But along with that, in that world that they can create in their own mind, in their play, make-believe world, they also naturally have to imagine the wealth and the luxury and the power needed to sustain that imaginary world. What is a king without royal robes? What is a knight without the armor that they have to put on and the sword that they need to go into battle? What is a king and a queen without um, a castle and without the moat and the walls and the defenses? So they need that luxuriousness, right? that wealth and the power in that imaginary world and in their kingdoms that they create. But the kingdom that Christ preaches and the kingdom that we hear prophesied in the prophecy of uh, Zephaniah, it's a kingdom that's much different and even opposite of what we would like to imagine. Continuing on past childhood, I think that my own love for uh, fantasy genre of literature, especially sci-fi, is the fact that I can take a book and almost be like a kid again, entering into a world of imagination and possibility and, you know, another reality. In a way, it allows us to hold on to a childlike creativity, a childlike nature of make, believe, and play. But in the last hundred years, I think, as is, um, is atheism has spread through our culture and spread through uh, our society and the things that society and culture creates, we've seen, or at least I've noticed, a shift depending on in what decade those books come from. So in 1907, Robert Hugh Benson in England is writing Lord of the World, and this is a book that uh, Pope St. John Paul II said, everyone should read, and then Benedict said, everyone should read, and then Francis said, everyone should read. And oddly enough, through three pontificates, they don't all agree on much, but they did agree on that, right? Lord of the World by Robert Hugh Benson. And in it, we see the church that is weak, it's being persecuted, and it's being persecuted in a world that's full of war. But the person who's going to bring the world together is going to be this a uh, sleek politician who speaks all these languages, languages and going to bring the nations together. But you find out very early in the book, this is the Antichrist. And so you have the church fighting for her own rights and you have uh, someone trying to bring the world together in order to uh, bring about unity in the world and, and, and unite the nations under his rule. The second work of science fiction that you know, we can compare with that a little later on a number of decades later on, is George Orwell's famous 1984. And of course, many of us had to read this in school or we've read it because of its importance in society today. But George Orwell tells this frightening tale of this omnipresent government that's in charge of every single aspect of individual life, family life, and the control of each individual community. But the main character, Winston Smith, who works for the government. He's surrounded by all these people, but he dreams and he begins to associate himself in secret with people who want to rebel against this government. Of course, if you've read this, you know, well, Father, that's just scratching the surface. Well, I'm not going to give you spoilers because I want everyone to read these. But what we see is that everyone around him has come to believe that the government's intervention 
can create in this place in Oceania, as it's called, a place without adversity, without struggle, without uh, illness, if everyone just follows the government's orders. And that's juxtaposed to the world around them is always at war, where there's always threat of death. Lastly, to bring in a childhood uh, favorite of mine, and it's not a favorite because I overly enjoyed it, but because my brother was older than me and whatever he had on TV I had to watch, or whatever he had on the radio I had to listen to, is Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek. So this series assumes a perfect utopia here on Earth. There's no need for money. There's no need for charities. There's no need for anything. And so, as the world unites in perfect harmony and in this paradise of Earth, they come together and developing their technologies, they're able to set off under the banner of Starfleet off to other worlds and other races and other species. And what do they find there? They find something less than perfect, and so they fight battles, and they help, you know, with farming, and they help bring uh, um, uh, predatory threats against different races. Right? They help to put all that aside and to pass on these values that will hopefully make that world also a perfect utopia. But each of these shows a progression, one to the next, as society and the creativity of our culture becomes more and more atheistic to what man wants to create for himself when God is removed from the equation. In Lord of the World, it's the ordering of oneself towards the church or the state. But all in mind that the Lord will come back, that there will be an end to this present reality. In Lord of the World, it's the ordering of the life towards, or I'm sorry, in 1984, it's the perfection of human society to be free from conflict. But what must be sacrificed? human flourishing, individual liberty, the right to raise and to pass on to our families the values that we hold important. And in Star Trek, the human race has made this paradise here and goes elsewhere in order to find the disharmony in the battles and the adversities. I bring all this up because it shows throughout time that man has always desired the same thing which is peace, harmony, flourishing of human existence. And the desire to create this paradise is not only part of fantasy genres in science fiction. It continues to happen in our world today at the highest levels. For example, each year, hundreds of representatives from different countries meet at the G8 summit, and they consider de-escalation policies energy uh, policies, food shortages, resources that need to be shared between nations and the like. Meeting this upcoming uh, September as they meet every three years and they're already preparing for the gathering of the G20 summit in India, whose theme this year is One Earth, One Family, One Future. Which sounds nice, but if you notice at all of these different forums and summits, it's just nice enough for people to buy into, but just broad enough for them to talk about anything they want. Recently concluded was the Davos World Economic Forum, which received a lot of news coverage in the last month. These efforts of a new world order and a future of global prosperity and peace all share a common thread. The worldly rich and the powerful 
finding ways to achieve, yes, noble goals and what all of us desire, but through dictating to each individual how they must live their life. So recently in the News for the World Economic Forum, you couldn't hear any of the talks or any reporting without someone giving the attendees or some message to the world that said, I have the secret key to peace. Peace through tech. Peace through sustainable farming. Peace through renewable energy. Peace through alternative foods. Insects. Right? Father Malacher inserted a uh, John the Baptist joke there. But peace through alternative food sources. Peace through economic interdependency. Now we look at these different things in our life, innovation, progress, technology, climate responsibility, and they're all worthwhile affairs. They're all things that should matter in our lives. There's nothing evil about responding to the needs of those who suffer starvation, disease, and that's where the semantics and the arguments get a little cloudy. Because we will want to say, well, the way in which they want to go about doing all of this, it's a dangerous route. It's a dangerous path. And immediately, what's thrown back into our face? Well, obviously, you don't care about the wars going on in the world. Obviously, you don't care about the poor and suffering. Obviously, you don't care about the people that can't afford housing. No, no, I care. But what they forget is that all of Catholic social teaching is based upon the principle of subsidiarity. And this is the principle by which the social issues should be handled at the lowest level that they can be handled. When someone walks up to me and says, Father, I haven't eaten in three days. What am I supposed to tell them? Hold on, let me see what they're saying at the World Economic Forum, how I should handle this. No, I go to my kitchen, make them a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and give it to them that we can handle a lot of the needs of our community at the local level where we become, as Christians, Christ's hands and feet and face. The global elite that have all of these grand plans and try and influence the different ways of life, they're similar to the authors of fantasy and science fiction insofar as they're finding an outlet for their inner child to play make-believe. But... Bigger bank accounts mean bigger toys and bigger influence. They're more powerful than authors of science fiction and fantasy in terms of the real influence they have on our societies and cultures through money, legislation, technology, and all of the rest. They want to create a kingdom of prosperity, but it will be at the sake of individual liberty. And their kingdom will not suffice. Because Christ tells us today in the gospel about the kingdom that he comes to inaugurate. And it's the opposite of the kingdom that we dreamt of in our childhood and all of these world leaders dream up through the new world order. In his kingdom, it's not kings and castles and knights. Instead, it's populated by citizens who are poor in spirit. It's guided in justice by those who are merciful. It's administered by those who thirst for righteousness. It's guided in its daily activities by the clean of heart, and its ambassadors are peacemakers. Our Lord ends his description of the citizens of his kingdom, the citizens of the church, 
with a final blessing, but also prophecy. Blessed are they who are persecuted, who are persecuted for the sake of my name. Blessed are they, they should rejoice and be joyful that day. For they will inherit the kingdom of God. When we as citizens of the kingdom of God, when we live the virtues of the Beatitudes, we will be hated by the people in the world who lust after power, status, control, wealth, and influence. And there's two reasons for that. The first reason is because every disciple is a painful reminder for these worldly people that they're living according to their own will and not the will of God. And secondly, because every person who lives a life of holiness, every disciple is an obstacle to them getting what they want because we will not bend our wills. This is the reason that Christian movements are met with fierce persecution in our country. The persecution against Christian bakers, Catholic universities, crisis pregnancy centers, and for no apparent reason, Christian chicken sandwiches. I've never baptized a Christian chicken sandwich, but supposedly you can now protest chicken sandwiches, Christian chicken sandwiches. Now that persecution is real, and it's not to negate the physical, violent, brutal persecution going on in other countries, going on in the countries of even now Central and South America, going on in Africa, where to go to church, you can lose your life. But Jesus, who is in the line of King David, comes to establish the kingdom of God, but it's an inverted kingdom to what we would expect in the way that it calls what worldly folks see as good, bad. And what they see as bad, good. And so today our Lord invites us to leave the ways of the world and seek not things that everyone else seeks in the world, but to train ourselves in the ways of humility, meekness, and peace, and daily live as citizens of another kingdom. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.